All right, before we start, I want to let you know about this amazing all-in-one podcasting platform called Listener.fm. Listener helps you record, edit, distribute, and monetize your podcast all in one place. With just one click, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and others. Check it out at Listener.fm. That's L-I-S-T-N-R.fm. All right, let's go. So, Natalie, first of all, welcome. In your podcast, I know that you like to start from the origin story. So, we'd love to know, how were you when growing up? Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. Yes, I love hearing people's whole backstories. I always find them really inspiring, especially the stories of people who overcame obstacles and and just how people build their, their careers. So my story is that of an immigrant. I am first-generation American. I was born in Poland, and my family came to the U.S. when I was very little. I was five years old. Uh, my parents were a little bit older when they came, late 30s, early 40s. So I really saw them have to start over and learn a new language and they worked really, really hard just to give me and my brother a good life. So, you know, I always was raised with that kind of, you know, the need and the drive for education and knowing that I have to work hard in order to become financially stable. And I was always just nervous about money because money just seemed like just a source of stress for me because my family never had a lot. So when I was little, we watched a lot of news uh, because my parents you know, not only were they into current events, but they were trying to augment their English skills. So we had news and TV and film like always on in the house. And so I decided I wanted to become a journalist. I thought, what a beautiful, noble profession. You know, not only do you get to hear stories and learn about different things and interview different figures, but also it's... it was, it seemed to be a lucrative position, right? If you go on television, a lot of people were making really great money, even if they were local reporters or anchors at the time, because this was the 90s. So television, everybody watched television. This was pre-internet. So um, that was really my dream. And when I went off to college to study journalism, my parents, um, they lost everything in the financial crisis. So 0809 happened. They had just saved enough money to buy a house. They, they had lived in the house for a couple of years and they lost lost everything in the financial crash, like so many millions of Americans. And I saw that really take a toll because they had worked so hard and they had to file for bankruptcy and move into a tiny apartment. And I just felt so frustrated because I felt like the system was broken. Like I didn't understand why two good people who did everything to take care of their family, paid their taxes, played by the rules and worked from morning until night, how something like that could happen. So I had, I think this like seed planted in my head in 0809 that said something is wrong and broken in the system, but I didn't know what it was. So I set off and became a journalist. I worked in like local and medium, you know, small, medium, large markets, and eventually got to national news, which was really exciting. And I would say that throughout that experience, I really witnessed the polarization and division of our country. Um, You know, after the 0809 crisis, when you learn about Bitcoin, you realize how much money printing was initiated and just how how much more broken the system has gotten in the last 10 plus years. And I watched the country get more and more divided because people felt like they were getting left behind, everything was getting more expensive, the richer getting richer. And there's this feeling of frustration that brews that I was reporting on and it manifested in all of my stories. And it wasn't until 2017 that I found Bitcoin, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't understand it. I thought it was like a stock or like I, you know, I could potentially lose all my money. 
And then a mentor gave me the book, The Bitcoin Standard, and that's what really changed my life and my trajectory because once I read it, I felt like I had just like a veil was lifted off my eyes and I was seeing for the first time and I was connecting the dots that all of this is related to money. This is why my parents suffered through the financial crisis. This is why everything's getting more expensive and Bitcoin is trying to fix this. And so I became really passionate about Bitcoin and began really studying it and wanting to educate people about it then. That's so interesting. I believe uh, this is super important, just the education around finances for kids. I know you also did recently a storybook. Uh, you were just narrating the story about Bitcoin for kiddos. That is so important for kids. But I just yeah. want to go back that you studied journalism. It's pretty evident from the way you speak. The way you speak is yeah. so eloquent. Uh, but how did you go from ABC, CNN to them starting your own podcast? Because earlier you had your own podcast called Career Stories. How yes. did that happen? What was, your, what was in your mind? Yeah, so really, um, it's just driven by the changes in technology. And I have witnessed my own industry get democratized and decentralized. And anyone can become a content creator or, you know, a journalist really on their own. And so I find that to be fascinating because it really changed the business model of my industry. I mentioned earlier when I was younger, I wanted to be financially stable and I thought journalism would allow me to be, you know, to, to earn a lot of money because at the time, if you went into television, you made great money and slowly but surely that declined because as the internet rose, advertising went to different places. Not many people were watching news anymore. Um, so there was almost like, you know, a shift, but also an opportunity, right? Because now people were emerging as their own brands and names. They were starting YouTube channels. And so I always kind of wondered, I thought, you know, how do people do this? Um, and I really loved the podcasting platform because I always loved long form interviews. So when I was younger, I gravitated more towards like the Barbara Walters, I don't know, like the 60 minutes and 20, um, 2020 and like shows that were just a little bit more longer in format because I felt like you learn a lot more and you get a full story. So I decided that just as a hobby back in 2017 or 18, I would start a podcast and it was just about origin stories. I was really fascinated with how people came to be successful in their industry. And I interviewed a lot of fellow journalists and TV people, um, social media influencers. I was just really curious always about people's different paths. And I really just did that on my own as a hobby. Like I purchased a microphone, I started recording episodes and then I I uploaded them and you know there's an audience for for that type of content and really any type of content today so when I started to learn about Bitcoin I decided that I wanted to pivot the podcast into specifically Bitcoin because I felt like you know I I learned and it was a difficult learning process because it's just you have to unlearn so much and really dig into the financial system and some of these really intricate complicated topics so I wanted to help bring people down the rabbit hole and hold their hand a little bit through it. So that was kind of the impetus of transitioning my podcast. And I had no clue that I, I would be able to turn it into a full-time job. Um, I did it again as sort of like a hobby on the side. And I'm just so grateful that the space has been so welcoming and that there was clearly a need for just people who are communicators and people who want to spread the message and simplify it to be able to monetize and now become their own content platform. So I'm super grateful. Definitely. I believe everyone wants to know that how you basically made this as a full-time job. But yeah, like before that, I also saw your tweet that uh, you were now working towards 10,000 hours of studying Bitcoin. How yeah. did Bitcoin become so important to you? Like you have to be that passionate to choose mm -hmm. that, okay, I want to dive deeper. 
Yeah, well, I said the 10,000 hours thing because of, um, you know, that saying that you need 10,000 hours in order to become a master. And I just think Bitcoin requires a constant learning process. And there's always so much new content to consume. And for me, why did I become so passionate? I think it's because seeing what my family went through, I just felt like there was an injustice. And I I hated to see our country, which was founded on such beautiful principles of freedom and self-determination and capitalism and the sense of the American dream, which really ultimately, what does that represent? It means that no matter what you come from, what background, what socioeconomic class, what, you know, what color you are, you can make whatever you want happen. Like you can make your dreams come true if you work hard and you're a good person. And I just feel like that was so core inside of me. And I also think, you know, I mentioned earlier, I watched a lot of movies growing up. I like watched a lot of stories and in those stories, like the, Good, good usually conquers evil, right? Like the good guy wins, and you're root, you're rooting for the hero. And like, I just feel like we need a win. Like we've, it's just life has been getting harder. When I feel like it should be getting easier as the result of technology. And I found Bitcoin to be this really divine, beautiful creation that fixes and addresses so many of these problems and turns like our greed into altruism in a way. Like it totally shifts the incentive programs and allows for for more financial inclusion for the little guy. And I always saw my parents and my family as the little guy. Like we had no advantage, no silver spoon, you know, no, no connections, no this, no that. And I just feel like it should be easier for the average person to have opportunity to grow and to, you know, increase or improve their lot in life so that they can plan for the future and have kids. And so I really think that Bitcoin can, can be that it can represent that change. And that's why I want to spread the message of it. Definitely. So let's dive deeper into it. I know before your podcast, you always say that, how can we fix the world by fixing the money? Uh, And recently you also mentioned that we are addicted to the money printer. Uh, We hardly make anything other than debt. I would love to know, like, if you can elaborate on that and how is Bitcoin a better solution for us? Yeah, so I guess I want to make two points on that. The U.S. used to be the world's largest creditor nation, and we actually produced a lot here. And now, just a few decades later, that's completely shifted on its head. We're the world's largest debtor nation. We have tens of trillions in debt that we will never be able to pay off. And we don't really make anything at all. We're importing things from other countries that are productive. And I think that's really hurt the labor class. I think that's hurt the middle class, which was like the fabric of American culture and society and gave us this sense of the American, you know, lifestyle and dream that many people aspire to. Um, But also, you know, it's the debt spiral is just has just gotten so out of control. We've been printing all this money and we sort of kick the can down the road and we place the burden on future generations, but we have no plan on how to pay it back in the long term. And the truth is we can't pay it back in the long term because we've gone so far into debt. And that has a real impact on society. And I think that people are sort of blind to it because we don't have great financial literacy in, in education in this country. Like we have these amazing schools, but they sort of just go along with the narrative that's held by government, which is that you have to experience inflation and it's okay to go into debt. So we've become this like consumer driven nation. And what's funny about that is I remember growing up, my mom would always remark how, why is the economy judged on how much we're spending as opposed to saving, right? Because when you save, then you can, you know, allocate capital and you can 
become an entrepreneur and you can take risk. But when you're just constantly spending and going into debt, you're actually getting into more and more trouble, right? How are you going to pay it off? And so I think we've sort of normalized this idea that the government could just spend as much money as possible without any long-term plans of how that's going to bring prosperity and abundance to people. And the second thing I want to point out is that through Bitcoin, I learned that once at one point the US dollar was backed by something that was scarce and difficult to produce, which was gold. We used to be on the gold standard and there was a time where you could go to the bank and actually redeem your fiat, your paper money for gold. And today we don't have that. We were taken off the gold standard officially in the 1970s. And so really our money, what is it worth? We're basically, it's basically worth whatever they tell us, but we're watching the purchasing power collapse year, year after year. And it's making it harder to afford things. And once again, the people at the top benefit because they hold assets and they can buy up a bunch of real estate. They can take more debt on to, you know, risk it. And the average person puts it in an account in the savings, you know, the savings account in like Chase and gets 0.01% interest and basically has a melting ice cube in terms of their, their money. And that, that sort of imbalance just destroys society from within. I think it causes populist uprisings that I think we're seeing right now. And it allows for politicians to come in and sort of take advantage of the situation because I personally don't believe many of them understand economics and understand how the money printer works. So they basically come in and say, hey, I'll help. I want to help. I'm going to give you money or I'm going to spend, you know, X, Y, Z on this. And then, you know, they spend it, they print all this money and nothing gets fixed and they don't lose their jobs. They just ascend in power. And it's like, we have this ongoing system that's just leading to the demise, I think, of our society. So, you know, that's a long-winded answer, but I just, I just think that there's, there's so much broken because of how we've managed our, our money in the last hundred years in this country. And hopefully with Bitcoin being this scarce decentralized technology network and asset that allows for anyone to gain access to it, if they just have an internet connection and you could purchase as little as a dollar, that allows us to sort of rework the system and create a, a more balanced and fair foundation for a new economy. Just exactly what you just said is something that everybody needs to hear. I believe this is going to be making a really good reel, really good short that we're going to be putting out. But yes, how do you think Bitcoin is a solution for it? You talked about how uh, we are in a messed up world, but how can Bitcoin lead us to a better world? Yeah, so the biggest problem that I have is that in our current system, there's basically an advantage to those who are close to the money printer who are the Washington insiders. And there's sort of this like marriage between the big corporations and the big banks and, and politics. And then everyone else, you know, they have their losses. All the losses are socialized and the gains are privatized. And, you know, the taxpayer is left holding the bag. Everything for us is getting more expensive, whereas the people at the top benefit from all of this. So my hope is that with a form of money, that can't be manipulated, can't be debased, can't be inflated, can't be controlled by anyone. It's going to bring us back to a system that's really based on quality and merit and value and supply and demand because you provide goods and services and they're judged you know, on the free market. And right now we don't live in that system. We have a very manipulated system and it, again, it, it, it disproportionately allocates capital and money to the people who honestly need it the least, right? And, uh, and who may not have everyone's best interest at 
at heart. So I don't believe that Bitcoin's going to fix everything. And I don't think that we're going to ever see an, uh, an economy or, or a world society where everyone's just equal and everyone makes the same. Like, I don't want to see that. I want it to be based more on value and merit and a fair mm. access to opportunity where we like, which I don't believe that we have right now. So I feel like if we fix the money and actually our money's going up in value every year as opposed to down, we can make better choices when it comes to, you know, pursuing entrepreneurial endeavors or planning for a family or investing or, you know, spending. I just feel like if we actually had savings, we could encourage more um, just momentum in the economy as opposed to everyone just going further and further into debt. That makes a lot of sense we need to focus on saving over just spending and that is what uh, a lot of people are getting aware of and i believe bitcoin is leading that wave mm -hmm. but i want to know that you were covering when you were a journalist you were covering a lot of news a lot of national stories across the country how did those experiences shape the way how you think about bitcoin today you were covering stories around wildfires around mm -hmm. shootings stuff like that i'm curious about that yeah, so I covered, gosh, every kind of topic and story I could possibly imagine. I was a reporter on breaking news a lot, so I did everything from natural disasters and fires to mass shootings to local elections, national elections, public corruption, civil unrest. I mean, you name it, I covered it. So it gave me kind of a depth and breadth of the issues that are facing America and society today, which I think has really helped me because not only did I have to learn a lot very quickly about different topics and synthesize that information and crystallize it in a way that was short form. But also, you know, it made me think a lot about what's important, what word choice do I want to use, how do I simplify a message, and what's really important to people. And what I really learned is, you know, emotion is what drives a lot. And, and the best stories are the ones that really tap into your emotion. And I think, once again, you know, with Bitcoin, I think it's that, it's that fight. It's like that good versus evil, right versus wrong, like justice versus injustice. And that's what I really see playing out. I see a world where people have gotten to the point where they feel so fed up and left behind and frustrated and and they're looking for outlets for that and so unfortunately we've become sort of divided and we've pin pigeoned ourselves as left versus right or red versus blue or you know this person versus that person but at our core I really do believe that we're all the same like I would try to find sort of that universal theme or message or connection in all of my stories where at the end of the day we're all human we want to connect with one another we want to take care of our family we want to be able to plan for the future and have hope. We all have these beautiful things in common. And I think Bitcoin taps into reawakening some of that for us because for so many it's gone. I mean, you know, with any story that I covered, whether it's civil unrest or public corruption, like if someone is a victim, if someone feels left behind, all they want is some, some sort of salvation. They want hope. Everybody wants hope. And I think Bitcoin really represents hope. So um, I would love to see more people sort of embrace it, and especially our politicians who are going to be making really important decisions when it comes to Bitcoin. I just really hope that they open their eyes and they open their ears to the people who are trying to educate them so that our country moves in the right direction as opposed to in the direction of authoritarianism and more division. That's very interesting because when I think that you would be covering so many different stories, you would have created a pattern in your mind that, okay, these is something really common among all of them and this is how it could be solved so this is very interesting to know uh, moving on like when i asked you a question that hey what would you like to talk about you said bitcoin and bitcoin <laughs> so you're definitely bullish on bitcoin 
How do you view the role of other cryptocurrencies out there? Yeah, that's a great question. So I really don't even put them in the same category. I feel like when you compare Bitcoin to the other cryptocurrencies, you're almost comparing the internet to different websites or you're comparing, you know, gold to Tesla stock or something like that. So I just I don't feel that they have the same mission or purpose or intent. And I'm a huge believer in free markets and capitalism and people allocating risk as they see fit. Everyone has a different appetite for risk. So you know, because our money loses value, I think it's led to the monetization of a lot of different industries and and namely really the stock market. Everyone's gambling the stock in the stock market and day trading. And like, you feel like you have to risk your money in order to see a reward that's greater than the inflation that you suffer. Um, but I don't, I'm not a gambler at heart. Like I definitely, I'm for taking risk, but I think it's a full-time job to assess these companies and say, this one will be successful, this one won't, I'm worried about this one. What if the CEO comes out with a scandal? Like, will a price drop, will it go to zero? I feel like there's so much research and work that needs to be done when you're dealing with these tokens and other currencies and projects. You really have to be on it and almost time the market, right? Because at the end of the day, I do believe that all these other cryptocurrencies will be deemed securities. They will be regulated completely differently than Bitcoin, which is universally accepted as digital property. And so there's a lot of risk that comes with that because I think some of these projects will be successful and will make people profit uh, and others will fail and they could potentially go to zero whereas I don't ever see Bitcoin going to zero. So, you know, I, I always just caution people. I say, do your homework, make sure you're researched because many of these currencies, they have, you know, a centralized organization or group of people that are behind it that could change the supply or change the rules. And you really need to know what you're investing in. Whereas Bitcoin, you know, I have done the homework, I've researched and I feel very comfortable with it as a savings technology and as a future um, revolutionary payment rail. And I just see it as like one of the most important inventions of our lifetime that makes a lot of sense do you think that the fact that nobody knows who satoshi nakamoto is is good for bitcoin i do i do because i think that the you know the general ethos and the point of bitcoin is that there is no central authority there's no one governing it no one controlling it no one at the helm in the same way that we have these big massive ceos at corporations you know and so i think that if we did know who it was we just, you know, we're voyeurs as human beings. We would want to try and try to find out their whole background and politicize that person and decide whether or not, you know, we want to trust them. And so I think it's actually beautiful and, and very necessary almost that we don't know who it is so that it maintains that, that ethos of decentralization and, and a total lack of being controlled by any one entity. And, you know, it's funny because I, I've been talking about this actually recently with more and more Bitcoiners. I am, I have a religious background and I am really strong in my faith. And I do believe that there's something divine in, in Bitcoin, because I think that we were coming to a head in society with so many forces converging and we're coming to a place with our, the history of our financial financial system and fiat that like we needed this like savior almost like we needed something to come down and say look this is going to rescue you all like get on board this is the life raft this is the Noah's Ark before the flood comes in um, because I really didn't have hope before Bitcoin I will say I was one of the people who looked into the future and I thought how am I going to afford a family? What is the world going to look like? Are we just going to get more and more divided and just start, you know, killing each other in the streets? Are we going to become an authoritarian or communist nation? Because also you have to remember my parents came from Eastern Europe, so they grew up under communism. So that's always been, you know, a fear that that would come to, to this country. 
And while I never saw it possible in the last 10 years, I thought, you know, we're kind of headed in that direction. And so Bitcoin has just been, been representative of this, like, this life raft that could potentially usher us into a more fair system. And it provides me with um, a sense that I can actually be really optimistic about the future, whereas before I really wasn't. Wow. With that, I just want to know, who do you suspect is Satoshi Nakamoto? <laughs> uh, so it's so hard because I, I don't know as much, I think, as other people do about the early cryptographers. But I will say of the, of the research that I've done, I believe that it could be Hal Finney um, just because, you know, there's so many coincidences with regards to he had a neighbor named Dorian Satoshi Nakamoto. Um, he passed away and it was he was the first person to receive Bitcoin from Satoshi or and he was he tweeted, you know, running Bitcoin. But I don't know. I, I mean, he passed away. He had I don't know if you've followed um, some of the the posts that Hal Finney wrote or early on but i just remember one of his last messages before he signed off the the forum was that he's comfortable with like the legacy he leaves behind or something because he was he was sick and like he had his family i think that he was saying goodbye to but he, I don't I, I don't know if he just met his family as far as his legacy. I feel like it could be, you know, the Bitcoin legacy, the Bitcoin network. So um, if I had to guess, it would be Hal Finney, but I don't know. And I, I don't really care. <laughs> this is always going to be a really interesting question that people are going to yeah. be talking about. Yeah. But all right, let's move on. So you recently had Justin Rizwani on the pod, mm -hmm. who is building Zion, social media built on top of Bitcoin. With that, how do you see the future of censorship? as Elon is trying to buy Twitter right now, or he has already bought Twitter. Yeah, I mean, look, I am one of those people who I'm a fir fierce advocate for freedom. I believe that you should be able to say what you want, even if people don't like it. I really do, because I think at the end of the day, preserving freedom is paramount to achieving democracy and and allowing for the most equality and opportunity and when we start to let people take away our freedoms it's a very slippery slope and i think that people take freedom for granted they they think that it's some strong i don't know thing that we've created here especially in america but it's actually very very fragile and i think this past year these last two years with the pandemic has really put a spotlight on that so my hope is that we go in the direction of more freedom because technology also should enable us to be almost our most free and yet we've seen so much backlash and this kind of cult cancel culture that i really just don't understand because you know, if you're a strong person, you're strong in your conviction, then you should be able to hear an opposing view. You should be able to engage in a debate. You should be able to hear thoughts that you disagree with and not let it make you super emotional and just want to shut people out. And I, I see that less and less today, which makes me really, really sad. Um, you know, you see these like trigger warnings and people get upset about just a couple of words. And it's like, when did we become so weak? You know, uh, so I hope that I don't know Elon's intentions, and I'm always very skeptical, especially of people that have so much power and so much money. But my hope is that he will lead us in, in a direction of more of more freedom of speech, uh, less censorship. And, you know, I really like Michael Saylor's idea to implement sort of a uh, an incentive to be a good actor on 
on Twitter with regards to like putting up in escrow a little bit of Bitcoin and using lightning to basically punish people who are doing bad things like scamming or spamming people. So like you put up money and you do so at your own risk if you're going to spam. Like I think we need a little bit more of that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens because we, we need to go in the direction of freedom as opposed to censorship for sure. That totally makes sense. Censorship has become super important these days and more and more people are becoming aware of it that, hey, we don't even talk about censorship, but it's super important. Yeah. With Twitter, I'm also seeing that a lot of my friends right now, they are resigning. They are not interested anymore in working at the big tech companies. So the trend is the great resignation and more and more people are trying to join crypto. How do you see this going right now? You know, I feel that crypto, but really, I mean, Bitcoin, I think it's the most capitalistic yeah. <laughs> industry uh, that exists right now. And what I mean by that is I think it really is based on the value you bring to the table, the proof of work, if you will, and the innovation and the and, and really the merit you put forth. I feel like, you know, merit or meritocracy is almost a bad word right now. But I really see that in Bitcoin. And I've I've lived it myself. You know, I, I mentioned earlier, I did not expect this to be my full time job, but I've really been putting in the work in terms of research and and going down the rabbit hole and trying to consume all the information I can. And now I've wanted to share it. And because people see that I've been genuine in my intention, but also I've been thoughtful in my homework and my research, they want to come in and support me. And so that it's, it's like a beautiful, um, like reinforcing momentum that, that occurs. And I have been really inspired to see just how many people are wanting to come in and creating new ideas and supporting one another. And it's it's great because Bitcoiners have a lot of shared values. So it makes it easy because like once you meet a Bitcoiner, it's almost like you check off a bunch of boxes without even getting to know the person that deeply because you just know if you're a Bitcoiner, then you value these things. And like we're going to we're going to be in, in line and in sync, which is which is cool because then you work with people, you collaborate with people that are very like minded, which I think is great. Um, so I think a lot more people will flood into to this space. There's so much, not only opportunity in terms of jobs and creating jobs, but also just, you know, for the value of what you put in the money, the actual asset going up. So I think it's going to be an exciting next few years. And I can't wait to see what happens. Definitely meeting a Bitcoiner definitely seems like a great uh, experience. So how was the entire Bitcoin conference experience for you? Because that's where you are in a room full of that high energy. Uh, yeah, so Bitcoin Conference 2022 was an amazing experience and it was a huge full circle moment for me because it was my second conference, the first one I attended last year. And I attended last year to try to get to know some more people and to also ask for some of the big voices to come on my podcast um, because I found that, and this is probably my reporter background and the experience I had, but sometimes you need more than just an email. Like I, like I would email Saifedina Moose who wrote my favorite book. I would email and email and I would never hear back, right? Cause like it's, he doesn't have to respond and he didn't know who the heck I was. Um, and I couldn't get certain people to respond. So I thought maybe I'll go to the conference and try to get a face to face because I think that when you do meet someone, you understand their humanity and you're more likely to, you know, help them, especially if they ask you for something in earnest. Uh, so I went with the intention of getting more guests for my show and meeting other Bitcoiners. So I took my best friend and we went and I literally was like sneaking my way backstage and asking people for, for podcast episodes. And it totally worked. Like I got Michael Saylor and wow. Safety and all these great people to agree to come on my show. I was very, I was very, um, 
persistent. And then when I came back, my show really took off because I got these these bigger guests that were um, that were willing to speak with me and that I, I was able to have conversations with. So so when I came back this year and I was you know named as a speaker and I was I was an MC on the main stage and I got to do the Bitcoin Magazine Live Desk and anchor some some portions of the conference. I just couldn't believe how much change and how much I grew in just 10 months. And like, it goes to show again, like how capitalistic and how much opportunity this in, ha, this industry has. Um, so I encourage anyone who wants to get involved to do so because you can grow very quickly and you can make changes and make an impact um, much more easily than I think you can in other industries. And Bitcoiners want to support other Bitcoiners who want the space to grow. So it's like a great feedback loop. Definitely. Education is super important in this space and people are trying to constantly learn, finding new resources. What resources you love? What are some resources that really helped you? Yeah, yeah. So I actually, I just released a new website um, and on it, I have a tab for resources because I really was helped down the rabbit hole by some amazing books and podcasts and YouTube shows. So I've listed all of them there. If you go to talkingbitcoin.com and then the resources tab, but basically long story short, Bitcoin Standard is like the Bible, the number one book. I love it. I've read it multiple times. The Fiat Standard, which is the follow-up, I find to be fantastic as well. Price of Tomorrow by Jeff Booth. Bullish Case for Bitcoin by Vijay Boyapati. Inventing Bitcoin. Thank God for Bitcoin. Bitcoin and the American Dream. Um, There are so, so many good books. Also one uh, by someone who doesn't believe in Bitcoin that I recommend is a book called The Real Crash by Peter Schiff. He doesn't believe in Bitcoin. He's a big gold bug, but he does such a great job analyzing the problems in our current financial system and bringing in historical context that I think it's just a fantastic well-written book. Um, It's a great read. So I recommend that. And then as far as podcasts, you know, I learned and listened to and consumed what Bitcoin did with Peter McCormick, The Pomp Show, Robert Breedlove's show. There's so many good programs out there. And I'm grateful to be one of the only women that's doing content. You know, there's just very few of us. So I, I hope to represent that area of society and like bring more women in. So just so many great resources. And I think there will be more as the years come. That's big. That's that's a really good one. Uh, I actually want to talk about the Ukraine war. Like one thing that came about is Ukraine receives crypto donations of more than 22 million. War is bad, but it ex- it led people to explore these other forms of currencies. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, the adoption of Bitcoin, the adoption of cryptocurrency due to the war? Yeah, well, first of all, I find it to be so tragic that the decisions of just a few powerful people impact and create such tragedies for everyday people who are just trying to mind their business and take care of their families and work. I, th- I find that to be so, so, so tragic that people have to flee their country because of nothing of you know, nothing that was their fault. Um, and so what I will say is that this puts such a massive spotlight on Bitcoin and Bitcoin's use case as being unconfiscatable and being something that you can flee across borders with permissionless, trustless, um, you know, exempt from being able to be seized. And I, and sometimes I think we take for granted the fact that our money's in the bank account. We just trust someone with it, right? Or we have these, we we just kind of trust the system because we've never really needed to question it. But things can change really rapidly. And whether you were in Ukraine and you didn't expect this war to break out and you needed to flee and, and evacuate to 
to Poland and you needed to flee with all of your life savings and the people who had Bitcoin could do it much more easily than someone who had actual physical assets in a bank or gold. Um, but also look at Canada. I mean, Canada is a democratic nation that has been seen as you know progressive on the world stage and they were freezing people's bank accounts because the government did not like what crowdfunding platform citizens, private citizens were we're donating to. I mean, so it can really happen anywhere. And I just, I think it was a massive spotlight on how Bitcoin is super important, especially right now as we're moving in the direction of more control, more concentration of power. And I really pray for the people that are in Ukraine and also, you know, the people in Russia who never were supportive of this war, who saw their currency get debased by 75% and they're struggling as well. And they don't agree with, with Putin. Um, so I just think that, you know, it's, again, it shouldn't be so hard for the average person to work to support their themselves and their families. And I hope that Bitcoin sort of equalizes the playing field. And I think it's really important to have a form of currency that if needed in an emergency, if you needed to flee to another country, you literally have it on, on a hard drive or in your head and you can take your whole life savings with you as opposed to having to go to an ATM where there are runs on banks or freezes on bank accounts or whatever. You don't have to worry about any of that. And I think that's really powerful. That makes a lot of sense. Now with that, we also see El Salvador. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? How do you see the future with that country, how they will adopt Bitcoin for the better? Yeah, so, you know, it's funny. Before Bitcoin, the only capacity in which I heard about El Salvador was kind of the violence, the civil war from the past, and also just immigration, you know, that people wanted to flee, and there were people from El Salvador who wanted to come to the United States. And Bitcoin has really changed that. And I find President Bukele to be very, very inspiring because I'm naturally kind of skeptical of politicians. And I felt very jaded by my experience as a reporter reporting on politicians and interviewing them because I always felt like they were in it more for themselves a lot of the time. And also they thought about the short term, you know, getting reelected and promising things in the short term and always forgot about the long term and what the cost would be, especially to the people voting them into office. And I really see President Bukele as the opposite. He's willing to take the short term criticism and hits and credit, you know, um, rating decreases and all of that, because he believes that in the long term, this will bring economic prosperity and opportunity to the to the to the country that he genuinely, I think, loves because that's where he grew up. That's where his family is. And when I visited, I visited twice this year, I saw a lot of hope. I saw hope in communities. I saw communities that don't fully understand Bitcoin, but they want to, and they see hope in it. And they, they view the president's decision as a positive one because all they're seeing is more tourism and more access to capital and, um, and growth. And I think that makes them feel like they no longer have to dream the American dream and leave the country. They can dream the El Salvador dream and stay and invest right in the land where their ancestors are. And I think that's important. I think that I think that it will lead to more growth. I think it will lead to more investment in that area. I think that because they were one of the first, they really will benefit from being an early adopter as everyone is who early is an early adopter to any technology. So I'm really excited to see this experiment play out. And although the price is volatile right now, I think that in the long term, they'll really win. And, and President Bukele will be seen as, you know, kind of a heroic first adopter of this. Definitely. What do you think about or when are we going to actually reach that point where people will start trading in Bitcoins? Because right now we are only seeing people holding Bitcoins because they see it as an asset. So I actually think that I actually think that this depends where you live, because 
in the normal monetization process of any currency, it goes from sort of the collectible to a store of value to a medium of exchange to a unit of account. And I think we're sort of in between both the store of value and medium of exchange with Bitcoin, especially with the development of the Lightning Network. But again, like here in America, we have a concept for savings. And so we know we want to put put away some money for a rainy day. We have the 60-40 portfolio and, you know, we're kind of taught that at a young age. In other countries, they can't save. They live hand to mouth and they need, they need it as a medium of exchange and as a payment rail, especially in countries where they have oppressive governments or where they have hyperinflation of, you know, 50, 80 percent, which, you know, we take for granted. Our, ours is eight. It's bad. But other places, it's far worse. So you know, depending on where you live, the use case is very different. And, you know, we, we were discussing El Salvador just a second ago. In El Salvador, people don't even have a concept really for savings. They've never had a savings account. Many of them are unbanked and their first wallet, their first bank is Chivo wallet and it's Bitcoin. And so there's not an, there's, there's not like a, I don't know, like a pattern and a behavior where they're used to putting away money for the future. And hopefully Bitcoin will change that because it's obviously increasing in value. But at the same time, you know, as a payment rail, I don't know if you heard the speech that Jack Mallers gave at the Bitcoin conference, but we basically are running on this legacy system that hasn't been updated in many, many decades where these massive entities and these big corporations take a cut. They take a cut from you, the consumer, they take a cut from the merchant, and they're just the middleman. And what value do they really serve? when you can actually transact directly from one person to the next, you can send money and value at lightning speed from one part of the world to the other, and you could cut out that middleman so that every, you know, you, the merchant potentially gets to keep all of the money um, for, for whatever product or good or service that they're selling. And I think that that's amazing. That's really inspiring. So I think that in some places, Bitcoin will serve as a almost like a medium of exchange first and then grow to a store of value. Whereas I see in the US, it's gonna go from store of value to medium of exchange. And I just think we need more time and more adoption. Yeah, Natalie, I have learned a lot just researching you, listening to your Coin Stories podcast. And that was super cool. I actually wanna now go into this entire uh, podcasting phase. So. What does behind the scenes of Coin Stories look like, and what's your goal with Coin Stories moving forward? Yeah, that's a great question. So behind the scenes, you know, I think that it's really easy for anyone to put together a podcast, but it does require a lot of time. So I basically have a microphone and I have my Zoom and I have an editing software and then I have a hosting platform where I actually upload the episodes and I make my descriptions and that's pretty much it. So behind the scenes, it's really, you know, I go through a process of trying to book my next guest. I do research on them before I interview them. I have my basic equipment. I record the interview, I upload it, I edit it actually all myself, um, and then I put it out into the world. And I try to get a few weeks ahead when I can, but sometimes it gets tough because now I do a little bit more than just my podcast. But, you know, I, I find it to just be, you know, a real indicator that you can make whatever you want happen. Like if you want to put out content, go do it. Don't think about it. Don't talk about it. Go do it if you really want to because – there are there's probably someone that wants to hear what you're what you're going to share what you're going to say and as for my goal i think for me i just want to grow the podcast to be more welcoming to newcomers 
to the space. So, you know, I started and I thought it was kind of going to be a temporary passion project. And I really wanted to focus on like the biggest names in the space and why they got in and how they got in. But I want to start to branch out to, to more people, to more topics, and really just hit home on the points that we sort of discussed earlier, this idea that like we are really trying to fix and overhaul this financial system and make it more inclusive and fair. And there's so much happening with our with our economy from inflation to these interest rate hikes and, and it precipitating into these different aspects of society. And I would love to discuss that with guests and really help draw people in and understand Bitcoin as it's related to these bigger societal topics, as it's related to the cost of living and to education and housing and government and politics and all of that. So I just hope to grow and like get more, you know, people interested in Bitcoin and investing in it. And that's really my only goal. That's great. Actually, one side question. When I saw your interview with Adam back, I yeah. was surprised because you were talking to a cryptographer about super complicated stuff without any cues, without any paper in your hand. How are you able to do that? Without like a pa paper? Um, yeah, without any research work in your hand. Was everything <laughs> in your mind? Because yeah. when, I'm into, when I'm on a podcast with someone who is dropping some really good bombs, uh, I have constantly a ton of questions in my mind. And I'm like, wait, which question to yeah. ask? So how were you able to do that? Yeah, how are you so, doing it in general? Because you are good. We are good well, at this. Thank you. Okay, so I think that this is what, you know, my kind of interview style, I think, has always been a little bit different because I really want to find, like, the human interest angle. It's, it's what I'm most interested in because you can read about the technical aspects and there are people who really get into that information, like the very technical things, and they do a great job with it. But for me, I'm really curious what drives people, why they do what they do, why they are what they are, what kind of experiences that they had. Because for me, it's just a it's just a learning experience. Like I feel like I learn from other people's experience, whether they're successes or failures. I just think that those, those stories and those story arcs and narratives are really, really interesting and really important and valuable. So... I do my research ahead of time. Like I try to watch episodes and, and read articles and I read their biographies. But at, at the end, the thing that I found early in my career is if I structured it out and I had a bunch of questions, two things happen. Number one, I would ask a question and then that person would take things in the direction of question number like eight. And then number three, and like I'd be all over the place because you can't you can't plan out how an interview is going to go. So it almost like creates a source of confusion and pressure because you're like, oh, this isn't following the questions. But also I found that if you write out questions, you're almost not able to be an active listener. And I feel like the most important thing in a conversation and in an interview is to really listen to the person so that your next question is, it feeds off naturally off of what they just said and allows you to dig deeper or learn more. And, and if you just have a list you're going off of, then I feel like you're just, you're waiting for the answer to end and you're trying to, you know, ask your next question and make it fit into the sequence. And it just doesn't work. So for me, I just at the end of the day want to have a conversation with these people. I think everyone's a human, whether you're Michael Saylor and you're a billionaire or you're, you know, someone that just got into the space. We're all human and some humans are nicer than others, <laughs> um, but all the Bitcoiners have been very nice in the space. And I just, I don't know. I just want to hear more of that human side to people because I think it's more interesting. Like 
it was great to see, you know, Adam talk about his life and his background. And he has this very technical, interesting cryptography brain, but he's also a human, you know, he's a person that has wants and needs and, and, and desires and loves. And like, I just, you know, I want to humanize people because at the end of the day, what is Bitcoin trying to fix, but like humanity, in my opinion. So I, I don't work off of questions. I like think of things in advance or general topics, but I don't ever have like questions that I have. Super interesting, super interesting for me because I tried this once and that podcast blew up recently. So yes, this is something I'm trying to bring in more and more as well. And this was a good learning experience for me as well. Thank you so much, Natalie. This was good. We talked a lot about Bitcoin and Bitcoin and it was beautiful. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.